Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of Conversations. We're committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. On our program, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Ram Dass is one of America's most beloved spiritual figures. He has made his mark on the world giving teachings and promoting loving service, harmonious business practices, and conscious care for the dying. His spirit has been a guiding light for four generations, carrying millions along on the journey, helping free them from their bonds as he worked his way through his own. What's that Rumi poem, Tonight the Subject is Love, and I can't think of any more important topic to talk about. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed your new book. Some of the stories I was familiar with before. Yeah. But the focus on love, I think, is something that's very important right now. And maybe a way to start this uh, conversation is for you to just talk about what that means to you. What is love? Uh, There's so many definitions that people have from, I love uh, my new car, to uh, it's got a lot of areas. So maybe we can just talk about what that means to you. Love is an emotion that does not fall into the list of emotions like anger or any of these things. It falls in a, another category. Love is a, a spiritual thing and the others are worldly things. If you go down to the heart center, you, first of all, the beating heart, and then the emotional heart, and then the spiritual heart. People treat it as if it's like the other emotions, but it isn't. And it's really soul talk. I've found the level of consciousness, which the soul level, it's all love. It's all love. For example, the ego is cultivated on fear, and the soul is cultivated on love. The soul is coming up from the Atman, which is the one in you. When you distinguish between the emotional heart and the spiritual heart and the ego, can you define the difference between the ego and mind, I suspect you're thinking, and the emotional and then the spiritual? The ego is a thought or a set of thoughts. It's up in the head. It's who we think we are. And... The spiritual heart is who we really are. Um, If you move your identification of who you think you are from the head to the heart, you move from the ego to the soul. The other emotions are connected with the ego. They are in the incarnation. The soul is not in the incarnation. may come in, but it isn't the manifestation of the uh, incarnation. Uh, All the other emotions are part of the incarnation. Uh So the soul is, from your perspective, incarnated again and again and again. But the ego manifestation and the emotional aspect 
is something yeah. that's left behind, and or maybe it's not left behind. I don't. I'm not sure how that works. Well, it's it's the part of the ego, the soul from incarnation to incarnation to incarnation, and it comes into this incarnation, the environment and the body and the personality and uh, the parents and all the other things, um, and then. At death, it goes on to another incarnation. The ego has fear of death because death is the ending of the incarnation. And the ego is going to be ending with the incarnation. So we're holding on for dear life. Yeah. Literally. And and the soul, it's had deaths and births and deaths and births. It's not that big a deal. You know, one of the questions I had for you, Ram Das, was several people, the Dalai Lama and Simon, a couple other people I've heard were just flabbergasted to find out how much self-hatred, and uh, uh, particularly in, in the United States, mm-hmm. that we have towards ourself. Now, you know, that makes this creating this kind of love field that you're talking about very challenging yep. when we don't have not even love, but respect for ourselves and how hard we are on ourselves. Why do you think so many people lack self-love and how does that fit into this whole picture? Well, the ego is manifestation of the individual and that's why there is so much fear because the small individual and all the other things are big, big winds, the big rains, the big parents, the big everything. And there's fear. There's lots of fear. In the book... We love now. The first visit I had with my guru in 1967 or something like that, I didn't like Hinduism. I was a Buddhist. I didn't like... The gods, I didn't like the calendar art, nothing, you know. And I didn't like their gurus. So I came as a passenger car. The day before I came to meet him, I went out into the stars, and the stars were very bright, and I thought about my mother who had died six months before. And then we went on to meet the guru, and he said... You were under the stars last night. You were thinking about your mother. And I knew I had not told anybody. So I know cognitive psychology, and I knew we couldn't do anything like that. We in the West couldn't do anything like that. I was mind-boggled having him read my mind, and he didn't know me. And uh, so then he started to talk to other people. I was in the front of him, sitting on the grass, And I looked down at the grass and I started to think that he knew that. Then I, that and that and that, oh my God. (laughs) The veil is lifted, he knows it all. He knows it all. (laughs) And that's probably why we hate ourselves, because we have that stuff in ourselves. I had probably 15 things people would hate me for. But they were deep down inside me. Finally, I got courage to look at him. And he was looking at me with a love that was so precious. A love 
of, of my whole being. It was love that it was non-conditional. And I had never seen that before. And once he did that unconditional love, and I was holding on to those 15 no-nos, and yet he must know them, and he loved me. It freed me from those things, and it freed me from that self-loathing. That's the American... The, the, yes, yes. The, the, uh, the, the, the Dalai Lama uh, was so... Uh, Talked about. So troubled by... You know, but that takes me to a place of saying, well, that's good for you. I mean, you've had somebody look at you with unconditional love and could reach into your past and see exactly what happened and probably maybe into your future too. But most of us haven't had that ever. And so we're left to our own devices to deal with these 15 things or more that we, we are hiding from the world that keep us from being our most authentic and loving self. How do we find healing in that? I, I, I read your story and I read the stories of saints, but I haven't experienced it. And as a scientist and somebody who's, you know, rigorous like you were, I don't have anybody to pull the rug out from under me except myself, if that's possible. Well, there are two things. When he did that to me, I began to realize unconditional love. As a possibility? As a possibility. My love for myself. That my love for the walls, my love for the trees, I was loved it all. I, even people I didn't love, people I didn't like. And that's what I meant by when I said it's a different plane of consciousness. Because it's just, it's just a love. When one tastes unconditional love, it pushes one into their spiritual heart. And when one's in their spiritual heart, they can be a mirror for other people. They can find their own spiritual heart. So that we go from heart to heart to heart to heart to heart. In other words, when you get it, then you give it, get it, give it, get it, give it, get it, give it. I've been working on unconditional love, and but it's not something you work on. So that it's not something you give, or you, it's something you be. Like my guru, he bead love, and then there was an aura around him, and the aura included me. And all I did was I was feeling that he was unconditionally loving me. But he wasn't loving me. He was just love. In other words, it's being rather than doing for love. It's just you be your spiritual heart and then you radiate love around you. So that's one way people get it from another person. Mm -hmm. Second way. Second way. The practice of moving your identification from your ego to your soul. For example, start with a very workable phrase, I am loving awareness. And I concentrate on the center of my heart space. I am lovable, loving awareness. I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. That's the heart space. And when you have converted the identification 
you are identified with your heart, the spiritual heart. It has in it a witnessing component, and the soul can witness the incarnation. They witness your own melodrama, and they can witness your thoughts. Instead of you thinking your thoughts, you're witnessing. Like the thought, I'm bad. Or unlovable. Or or unlovable. And you can climb into that thought, and it makes you unlovable. But once you're in the witness, in the heart witness, you don't have to climb into the thoughts. All you do is love the thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) It's not only climbing into. For me, it's what I notice when I slow down enough to be in that kind of witness place that I actually build on the story of those thoughts. Like... I'm unlovable, and I'm unlovable because I didn't call my friend. I'm yep. unlovable because I didn't do the dishes, you know, and, yep. and, and, and all these things, or things that happened that I could never fix that people are long gone. Yep. And so I build a story on One's it. One's drama. Yes, yes. We climb into drama from a single thought. Yeah. Single thought. And here we are, you're witnessing that, that. my goodness, look at me climbing into my melodrama. Now, two things, of course, that are really challenging right now along those lines is uh, the state of fear has risen in my lifetime. I feel the state of fear is higher than it's ever been with eco-destruction, terrorism, depletion of resources. You know, I work a fair amount with young people and it's they don't have the same idea of a possible future that we used to have. So people are quite caught in that aspect of fear. And the other thing is how fast we're moving to try to keep up with the changes that are happening. So fear and speed seem to be real barriers to developing a state of witness consciousness. The soul lives in infinity. The soul does not respond either to time and space. It's not that plane of consciousness. Time and space is in the mind. And we all share it, but it turns out to be unreal. And when you get into the soul, you don't have rushing because there's no rushing because there's no time. And in your soul does not function with identification with the incarnation. And the incarnation is the times or culture in those incarnation is what you're afraid of. The incarnation is what you're afraid of? Yeah. yeah. The one you're in currently? Yeah. Yeah. Sure, because... You mean see, losing it? See, when you're out, we'll call it soul land. When, you, when you're in soul land, when you're going into an incarnation, you pick an incarnation that is perfectly suited to learning the things that will rid you of the karma that your soul has brought in. And so you and I, we've got this culture, we've got this time we're living in, we've got the guns, we've got all that stuff. We could have, from soul culture, we could have chosen another culture, another time. So where the fears and the culture are what our soul needs for 
dealing with our karma. With our karma. So all the uh, destruction, you know, we're at a point in the destruction of our ecosystems where it looks like we could easily, where we could easily end this whole human experience. It appears that way. It appears that way, but this world experience seems to work for many souls' karma. If you look at it from the one's point of view, if it weren't there, it would have to be created again. Unless, for example, there are other galaxies with our conditions. Conducive to life, other, what we call life. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We humans are sort of bacteria on on the earth. Parasitic. Yeah, parasitic. (laughs) And we flex our muscles, but we can't get rid of them the earth just yet well we certainly have the capacity they have the capacity we could blow up the earth a hundred times over with just the weapons we've created and we've had them quite a while it's amazing we haven't used them more than isn't that amazing than world war ii yeah you know going back to the soul and in your book be love now you talk about the pure soul, and I, I'm wondering what that what that looks like. If someone says, "I want to see what my pure soul looks like," or "I want to experience it," or "I want to have an experience of being that and witnessing that," where do you go to find that place? You work on your karma. Karma is the thing that keeps you from being pure. So the karma. Like, I maybe have karma from uh, a greed karma. Well, maybe this life experience, maybe it, good examples, and I can work on them, witness them in this incarnation, and I'll get rid of my greed, and I'll get rid of my anger, and I'll get rid of my all the ones that keep you from being pure, and then you'll get more pure. Do you get rid of them or do you stop acting on them? You know, if you have greed or you have lust or you have anger or you have any of the seven deadly sins, so to speak, do we actually get rid of them? Well, we certainly get rid of acting upon them. Right. If you have the witnessing component, you'll be the love and you will witness these things and I find it useful to say that I love these things. I I love my greed. I think that's such a greasy thing. <laughs> <laughs> so in a sense you're saying this is a practice and the practice is yeah. being loving awareness. That's right. Whenever that's right. anything that's comes right. up, if you're feeling attacked or if you're feeling vulnerable. So it is directly tied to the emotions because emotions are wonderful indicators of those aspects that that's we right. aren't able to love ourselves that's right. in ourselves. My guru said to me, Ramdas, I want you to work on your truth. You've got to speak truth. On Monday, he said that. On Tuesday, he called me in and said, Ramdas, I want you to love everybody. And I said, I can't. Ramdas, you to speak truth and you are to love everybody. He gives me orders. You don't pass those by lightly. He may be reorganizing me. 
he was actually giving me instructions to identify with my soul. So Wednesday, I had altercations with my guru, brothers and sisters, and uh, one brought me a plate of food, and I threw to this food, and I threw it in his face. And it was so satisfying that I was happy to be able to get rid of my anger. And I heard Maharaji say from way far away, Ramdas, Ramdas. And then he said to me, I told you to love everybody. And I said, I can't love them. And then it wouldn't be the truth. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, I can see how you get that <laughs> yeah. paradox. Yeah. <laughs> see, uh, the, the truth is I don't love everybody. He says, I want you to tell the truth and love everybody. Okay, that's the that's the the bottom line. He's given me. He doesn't want rationalizations. So that year, we had a secretary of state that Casper Weinberger. Yeah, I just couldn't love him. Just couldn't love him. Maharaji said, "Love everybody." So these days, now I have George Bush, George W. Bush, and I put them on the my puja table where I have all these beautiful souls. Jesus and Maharaji and Ananda Maima and and I say, Oh Jesus, I love you. Oh Maharaji so, oh and I go into ecstasy with every one of them. Hello George <laughs> And it's it, it's in my heart. And then I saw it's why identify him with his incarnation. I don't identify him with his soul. And then I looked at him as a soul. Uh, my compassion is is terrible, terrible uh, incarnation. I mean, the karma he built, my God, it's just, you know. And um, so I said, well, okay, I can love that soul. I can love George Bush, the soul. And then what I, I can I can do what Maharaji did, told me to do. Love every being. And tell the truth. And tell the truth. I love yeah, it. Yeah. But the only thing I've got to realize is I don't love his incarnation. And in this heart space, I'm loving the wall. I'm loving myself. I'm loving George Bush's presidency. Oh, God. I... <laughs> <laughs> That's a stretch. <laughs> it's a stretch, but it's not impossible. It is not impossible. Well, you know... What you were saying earlier, though, about the difference between the emotional heart and the spiritual heart, it's also, I think, it seems to be related, the, the two to that, because in your spiritual heart, you can, you can love him as, and his car incarnation. Yeah. But in your emotional heart, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have a vast array of emotions from despair to disgust exactly. at, at the actions exactly. that are happening. Exactly. Which, of course, then is related to the... Exactly. I mean, I can love nature, and I love nature, you know, whether vicious it is, or... Uh, well, he's nature. That's, that's nature. I mean, I look at my stroke. That's nature. And it's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you to talk just a bit, since your your book is really 
Belove Now is really built around your relationship and the evolution of your relationship to the Maharaji, to your, to your guru. Yeah. And, um, you know, there are lots of false gurus out there, or what I would think, mm-hmm. gurus with major egos, which seems yep. to be a contradiction right there. Yes. So I'm wondering, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with your guru? And does everyone, should everyone have a guru? Or what's your thoughts about that? Everyone has a guru. Only very few people have a guru on this plane. They might have a guru on the astral plane. They, they, they call him uh, an angel, uh, uh, spirit guy, uh, a master, or something like that. And they they blend in to your your intuition, hmm. your intuition, way down deep inside of you. And that's where you meet your your guru inside of you. So people think you go guru hopping or guru um, right. Go out seeking for a guru, but that isn't where it works. The guru finds you when you're ready for that guru to yeah, show up. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And I had no intention of having a guru. <laughs> I had no intention of having a Hindu guru. I had no intention of. Uh, it's far from my consciousness. And then he came along and he uh, took me by storm. Because when I met him, I had in my pocket a plane ticket for New York for uh, two days hence. And I didn't leave there, leave India, because I wouldn't leave him. I didn't leave for six months. Six months. That, uh, such a, I was just, my plans were swept under. Didn't happen by my looking for one. Now, um, I can find Maharaji, and I can f- write books about him, and some people will get from the, one of those books that faith in, in a spirit, in the spirit. And I think that's the way it works, because they will then go inside and find their own guru. And then they will be ready with faith, with faith. Like some people will say, oh, that's my intuition. Then say, what do you mean, intuition? That's my guru. Because your guru is inside. So... You brought up a couple of things, I think, that are really important there. And one is intuition. Uh, As you know, I work a lot with Gabrielle Roth uh, for many, many years. And that's a key aspect of the moving meditation, to be able to free ourselves up to be able to get in touch with that intuition, because most of us uh, are so heavily in the mind field that to access real intuition, we couldn't tell the difference. Um, Whereas some people just naturally know and move with that. So from your sense, how do we develop this intuition? Is that a product of being loving awareness or uh, is there other work that people need to do there to be able to tap into it because it's most people are hardly in their body let alone in their intuition well one way is the loving awareness that's that's bhakti yoga the yoga of the heart 
Then they, there's jnana yoga, which is the yoga of the mind. They arrive at their intuition by rational steps. Why am I something in happening in me? It's not my experiences. It's not, it's not, it's not. Then it's my intuitive. So is there something that distinguishes intuition from mind that you could say, ah, that's intuition, oh, that's mind? Yeah, there are labels for anything, like intuition. Uh, The Hindus have different um, planes of mind until you get to the the, uh, the highest mind, the buddhi. And the buddhi is self-realization or God-consciousness? Yeah. See, there's two levels of consciousness that we are toying with. In the Hindu world, you call it um, Atman, and the other one is Jivatman. The Jivatman is the individual soul. It's like the Christian soul. You've got a soul, I've got a soul. The Atman is the one You've got it, and I've got it. That's two differences. So you move your identification from your ego to the jivatman, and then from the jivatman, you then move to the atman. The jivatman... This is the individual soul expression. and, And the jivatman has not identified with love, because atman is love. And see... The Jivatman, I want to, I can look around and see it the one. But the Atman is where I meld with love. That's my guru. That's my guru. And the meld with love or meld with, with the one, that will be one that's, um, you don't have experiences in that. The Buddhists know very much about that. The void. It's the void because you don't, you're not external. So my guru is love and I can't do it. I can't do it. I can only be the witness of love. But you're saying he's beyond that and he's yeah. he is love whereas you're the witness of love yeah that's so, the atman and jiva uh, uh, atman yeah but why can't you be that he get he he does i know but that's what i keep asking myself <laughs> <laughs> see and i feel like that you can't do it because it's not something that's doable it's something that beable so I can be love, and I, but I can't, I can't, I can't do anything about it. Huh. I wonder if, if the actual, the seeking of it is the barrier. Is barrier, sure. That sure, keeps us sure, from sure. being that, sure. the fullness it of is, that love. It is, it is. Because I want that. I know it. Everybody, want everybody wants it. <laughs> everybody wants it. Everybody wants it. Few people will get it. Buddha gets it. Christ gets it. Maharaji gets it. All those wonderful souls. That's what I've expressed in this book, uh, Be Love Now. Some of these 
wonderful, wonderful beings there are in India that have have sprouted from the the villages and all. Uh, they can be it. They 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 be it. And you meet them, and you and you feel loved and all that. I mean, Nityananda, Ramakrishna, Ramana Maharshi. All these, and Buddha, you know, all of them. We don't have a lot of American examples. No. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> uh, I wonder if that has anything to do with... Well, probably our mystics back in, in our history. Now we don't have them here. They don't seem to. I mean, we've had things like Lincoln, or... Uh, see, Lincoln was... Almost there. Really? (laughs) 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 Well, at any rate, (laughs) it's pretty hard to find an example. Sure. Sure. (laughs) But a lot of people that aspire to that, which I think is is a positive sign, that there are so many people. Because we all have to. That's what the, the. That's what taking birth is about. People don't know it. They're trying to build empires empires and worldly stuff. They don't know that this is the thing that lover inside is much better. Mm, Yes. And we're floating in an ocean of love and we are a drop and merging into the ocean and we can't merge. Mm. Wow. Yeah, you know, I just had a thought as you were talking, Ramdasa, that um, perhaps one of the reasons we can't find anything, anyone that exemplifies that the purity of that uh, complete, unconditional love yeah. emanating. We're an adolescent society. We're, you know, right, and we'll never apologize to any country, and you yeah. know, we're rags to riches, individual cowboy Horatio and that's Alger. What we b- what as what we as souls what we were born into for certain reasons see you surrender you don't fight it you surrender to the moment the moment we are living in an adolescent society you don't say too bad or that's it well it's interesting to me that while everyone does I mean, everything seems to either be loving or a calling a love, a desire for love, you know, yeah. in, in any way. And we are probably, as a nation, the least that way. And yet, we've managed to sell this American way to where it, it is globally, as much as people hate us around the world, yeah. they want our lifestyle. Yeah. And it's, that's, a, that's, that's, it's a paradox. That's the paradox, because... The, most people want worldly things and they don't want spirit. Mm. If they want spirit, they'd go to India and Salon and uh, all those, but they're so dirty, (laughs) we say. Interesting. You know, um, one of the things that you said in your book, and I was, was thinking about it, trying to see what that meant, you said that grace is the nexus of love and awareness. Talk about that a little bit. You know, what's grace? And, and you, you're saying it's the nexus, the meeting yeah. of love and awareness. We've been talking about these two planes. We're all aspiring to 
the Atman, but we only can get to the Jivatman. And that's the, from the Jivatman to the Atman, one needs grace, meaning you don't have as the input. At that point, you've got to get over your humanness. And it, something has to do it. But something has to do it. You surrender to this. You can't do it. You can't. Something do it. has to do it. So that's the grace that's right. aspect of it. Yeah. Ah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It reminds me so much of people who have had, like Gabrielle, just having, you know, going through this stage four cancer and, and coming out of it the other side. And so many people who have had uh, diseases, even that only lived for a short time afterwards, saying that was the best thing that ever happened to their life. Yep. That's a that's yep. kind of a sign of oh yep. grace. Yep. Hmm. And what's the relationship of grace to karma? That's one of the interesting questions. When I said it to um, my guru, I said, "What is it? Why? What is the difference between grace and karma?" He said, um, "That isn't something I can talk about publicly." <laughs> oh. <laughs> Did you figure it out? No. <laughs> See, because I've got my guru's grace. Which could be your karma. Well, it is. It it is. Because you have it. It is, yeah. It is, but it isn't. (laughs) You're going along with your karma, and then grace strikes. And then you didn't do it. Or deserve it. Or deserve it. Yeah. Uh, No. Because we think if we're really good... Oh no, that's not 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 no, sir. I was in a, in a, you know the Carnegie Diner in in, in yeah. Manhattan. Yeah. I was in there one time, and and there was uh, this beautiful old, fairly old black woman, you know, with gray in her hair, all tight in a bun. And we had been at the Africa Prize for the Hunger Project that I was uh, working in. And Ola Tunji had played, and we were all just, you know, out of our minds. And we went in there, and I really wanted a milkshake. And this this black woman comes up, thin as a rail, and she and she says, "What do you want? Real New York, you know? What do you want?" And I said, and I saw her name was Dolores, and I said, um, "Dolores, do you ever make milkshakes?" She says, "Sometimes." And I said, "Well, if I'm really really good." Will you make me a, a milkshake? She put her hands on her hips and she said, Honey, you don't have to be good. You can have anything you want. You just have to really want it. <laughs> oh, God. That's wonderful. This is my spiritual teacher, Dolores. <laughs> that is, oh boy, that's a wonderful. you got to really want it. <laughs> and it's kind of like, what we're talking oh, that's, about, well, though, that's a wonderful being story. loving awareness. You yep, know? yep. You have to really yep. want that. Yep. To let go of the anger, to let go of the 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 blame, to yep. let go of the judgments and these things. And, and you have to really want it. I am loving awareness. Mm. I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. Well, I'll tell you a funny story that um, I... Um, I was uh, at, a, at a restaurant and I was uh, I was speaking and I was telling the audience what it meant to love, be in this plane of of love. And I said, and I love you, and I love me, and I love the wall, and I love this rug. And there was this spotted rug. <laughs> 
stained. <laughs> stained. And so at the end of the lecture, Mickey Lemley came up to me, who's a friend of mine, who's a movie maker. And he said, you know, all these months, I've, I've treasured you saying, I love you. And I don't have... Look at that rug. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted personal love. <laughs> no, I, I said, Mickey... I do not discriminate. I do not discriminate. I don't love one love. I love that rug. So now he calls from New York. This is your loving rug. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the things I'd love to hear your thoughts about is the whole issue of separation. What many of us might think is the myth of separation, and yet it seems very, very real. There's somewhere in there to, to melt that sense of separation that is behind our individual acts that cause incredible damage to each other and to the planet. And I'm wondering how surrender can help to dissolve the belief of being separate. You've had a lot of surrender practice and experience in your life. Surrender is the faith in the one the one consciousness, the one energy, the one that all the individuals are in that, but you surrender to the one, and still your spiritual identity is melding with that one when it is waiting for grace. But your worldly, the ego, you're you're separate. And it's actually, it's two parts of our, it's our two consciousness beings. One part of it is separate and one part of it is melded with, with it all. One part is, when you say worldly, one part is spiritual. And then there's the witness, so it's really three parts. No, the no? Wit- yeah, well, the witness, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the witness is part of the melding because that's the witness is the consciousness of the one. You're not the witness. You're not a, an individual witness. You're witnessing the incarnation, but that's the one in you. There are too many ifs and buts about this. Interesting story. A guy came up to me one day and he said, um, your guru is dead. I said, yes, he dropped his body. This is an interesting distinction. Dropped his body, which is in India, which means dead, but it, it's the saying from, from the soul. So he dropped his body. Rather than dead. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. Finished. Yeah. And he says, but... Uh, you know, you speak to your guru all the time. I said, "Yeah," and he said, "Well, that's 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 your ima- that's your imagination." I said, "You know what? That is, and you know what? My guru lives in my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a home there." Yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of things I was thinking about talking about with you, and one is the whole idea of desire and attachment, which is such an impediment to many for being able to live in this place of being loving awareness. How do we deal with that in our day-to-day lives? And it's not just about stuff, you know, wealth and, and, and possessions, but attachment to each other, to a lover, to a wife, to a child, to a, you know, or a desire. 
I mean, uh, I still see a Ferrari go by and I desire one, you know. Uh, I try to drive a Prius, but I, God, I'd love to be in that Ferrari. <laughs> Believe me, it'll break down. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or even the desire for love, to be loved. That's such a huge one there. And I've got to tell you that that desire is fulfilled from within you and not from without you. Right. And and people keep thinking they're going to from another person. And the thing they really want, really, really, really want, is inside them. So sometimes you say to somebody... I am in love with you, which means you are the stimulus that makes my love inside. And you don't have to stimulate from there, from outside. Just be loved. Just be loved. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I don't know why we don't get that one. It's certainly not a secret, but, um, you know, we continue to, to work on. Similar to that is one of the things you said in the book, Beloved Now, is that our job is to practice contentment and surrender. Very similar kind of thing, to practice surrendering, to practice contentment. Well, those are things, that, those are steps to get into loving awareness that's what i'm saying yeah because once you get to loving awareness there's nothing to do you've got to be it you be it you do it and do it and do it with with practices and practices get to the end which is being it i guess the one of the other to go back to another conversation. David White had a wonderful poem one time. He says, I want to write about faith, about the, the way the moon rises. And he has this wonderful poem. And then he says, but I have no faith myself. How do we find faith? Where's, where's faith come from? Faith is in this heart, and belief is up in the mind. So you say, oh, I believe that. But you're believing because... Is sort of unsure beliefs. And uh, faith in uh, coming from the heart is, <laughs> it's not talked about in words. And faith is given by grace. Faith is given by grace. So that's another one of those things then that we... <laughs> it's the one was there's the no doing thing. or <laughs> there's no practice then that can no, get us there. No. I like the expression, a leap of faith. Yeah. Because it does imply surrender, that there's an abyss. I met my guru, and I had no faith, and he just showed me that miracle, and he showed me that love, and right away I had faith. Hmm. He, his grace led to my faith. But the difference between faith and belief is very hard to, to jump there. I mean, faith-based the whole idea of faith-based religion, for instance, to me is strongly atta- a strong attachment to certain beliefs has nothing to do with what you're talking about when you say faith. You know, I look out at the grass and the ocean, and I had for years faith that, that those were out there. And now I've learned, like Heisenberg 
it's got to be in the in the eyes of the observer. And that really isn't real. And I had faith. I had faith in my eyes and ears and all my senses. That's what science is based on. But isn't that belief? If I can measure it, yeah. If I can, if I can somehow test to its reality. Yeah, I guess it, it, it's a mind thing. So it's yeah. It's almost like faith. But the thought that came to me is, it's like an offering. Mm-hmm. It's a gift. It it's somehow not even related. It's a spiritual knowing. Maybe I I, I don't know. It's something I grapple with and try to. It's it's spiritual knowing. That's what it's it is. Spiritual knowing. Yeah. So you mean we wouldn't start a war over it? No. <laughs> no, no. I remember in my psychedelic period, the scientists in our department were just outraged with us because the data we get from within a person. They, they couldn't measure it. They couldn't measure it. Or two things. If you've got a behaviorist, the behavior, two people can measure it. But if you can't, something I feel. It's only I, I feel I sometimes wonder about energy in a sense of this because there are certain things that take my energy up, so to speak, and there are other things that take my energy down. War, killing, hurting, it takes my energy down. Mm -hmm. Even though I may feel good, like you talked about, expressing your anger and throwing the food in someone's face, it takes the energy down, not just my energy, but the energy around me. And there are other things that take my energy up. For me, that's become an indicator of truth and perhaps relates even to intuition. My energy goes up when I see some act of compassion with somebody else. So somehow that, to me, that feels like it takes us closer to to all of these places that are true faith. Faith in the sense of it never divides. Oh. Something that takes the energy up is not divisive. Something that takes the energy down is divisive. Yes, because up means you're getting, plugging into the, the one spirit that lives in all things. Yeah, the energy of the trees and the ocean and the bodies and stuff like that. Yeah, that's, that's up. Yeah. That's up. That's kind of my indicator of if I'm going to follow that with faith, if I'm going to... If I'm willing to surrender, I need something to allow me to let go. It feels like I need Maybe I don't really. Maybe that's just in the mind. But energetically, it gives me a clue. This might be a good time to surrender. If I see myself doing something repeatedly that is not causing a result of union, of connection, it seems like maybe this is not a good thing. Like you have, yeah. you know... Like I say, what am I doing here? Yeah, right. Because I'm, I'm this thick, thick energy, and all I've got usually is a mind thing, or a separateness. A good indicator yeah, of a feeling of being separate. Yeah. yeah. That brings me to an area which has taken me a long time to appreciate, and it's being of service something you've given your life to. Can you talk about service? I think it was Albert Schweitzer that says, I don't know who of you will be happy, but I know it's those of you who have sought and found how to serve. What? I I know uh, uh, it will be those. Those who will be happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Oh, boy. Yeah. 
And that, that's so true for me. I can't find myself at this stage in my life to do anything else. That Tagore, I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and found life was service. And then I started to serve and it was joy. And it was just beautiful. The service is something brings you closer to the other. So it brings you closer to the one. So whoever you're serving is God. And it's like Hanuman, because Hanuman's serving Ram. And his serving Ram, his loving of Ram, his love for Ram, makes the service infinite. I mean, it, he's flying. And so when you start to serve, you're serving what you love. Serving what you love. That milkshake thing is is that serving love. That's the same story. Yeah. Wasn't it in the Bhagavad Gita that Hanuman says, I don't want to be Ram, I want to serve Ram? Yeah. What was what was he implying there? No, um it's it's the Ramayana. Ram says, Come up and sit on the stone with me. And he says, no, I'm loving just your feet. That's that same thing about the Atman. If you get the Atman, so you are love, you don't anymore feel the love because you are it. And he wants to feel love. But there's another one. Ram says to Hanuman, who are you, monkey? And he said, when I don't know who I am, I serve you. When I do know um, what I am, I am you. And that's 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 that two nice. levels yeah. of. Well, there's so much more. It's been just a delight to be with it you. It has been delightful just, too. Yeah. Your audience, they've had a good thing with you. <laughs> well, it's it's my service and what I love to do. Yeah, and, yeah. And I, can, uh, I can see that. I'm blessed to be able to do this and to. Hang out with lots of wonderful people and, yeah. and uh, constantly be learning. Any last thing you'd like to say to our listeners? I just want to plug your book, Be Love Now, and the website is ramdas.org. Any last thing you'd like to say for our listeners? Just tell yourself, I am loving awareness. And point in your heart, point at your heart, the middle of your heart space. I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. <laughs> Lovely. I just personally want to thank you for your many years of service and inspiration. And uh, it's the first time we've ever sat together. I've been in several talks over the years that you've done. And, yeah. and you're a great inspiration it's to me. It's been so... It's just uh, chapters... Uh, Quite a journey. I'm going. I'm just having a wonderful time aging. I'm going to be in April, eighty. Wow! Happy birthday. There's no happiness to it. <laughs> Happy every day. Happy every day. <laughs> Thank you very much. Conversations is an independently produced program supported by KVMR 89.5 Nevada City and listener contributions. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinking in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. 
If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or order any of our past shows, please call 530-477-7757 or go to our website at arewelistening.net. 